0: But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Just a Bite series, posted October 11, 2018, titled, Frank Turek Demonstrates the Principle of Embarrassment.
1: If there's something embarrassing in the text, it's probably true, because the authors would never make themselves look
0: bad. That must mean that all Frank Turek videos are completely true, because he makes himself look terrible every single time.
1: ever lied to make yourself look good? Yeah, of course you
0: have. Why are you all looking at my cartoon body like that?
1: Now, have you ever lied to make yourself look bad? No, you would never do that.
0: I've done that many times. My kids have blanket permission to use me as an excuse to avoid or escape any situation they're not comfortable with, and I back them up on that. In work situations, I've taken on blame and responsibility for things that weren't my fault, for superiors, subordinates and colleagues alike particularly when I thought the good of the project was more important than my short-term reputation.
1: And the principle of embarrassment goes like this. If there's something embarrassing in the text, it's probably true, because the authors would never make themselves look bad.
0: Despite the fact that non-narcissist sociopaths can easily imagine taking on embarrassment for a greater cause, I know that you're talking about the Gospels in the Bible, and you're making a huge glaring error, or at least a huge assumption. We have no direct evidence that the gospel writers were apostles, or even eyewitnesses. None of the gospel writers name themselves, and not a single one even makes the claim that they were eyewitnesses, let alone actors in the events described capable of this embarrassment you're hypothesizing. The authors weren't making themselves look bad because the authors weren't part of the story.
1: Well, the New Testament documents are filled with embarrassing details that they never would have invented. For example, the New Testament writers depict themselves as dim-witted.
0: Rather than an argument for the truth of it? Isn't this principle of embarrassment equally an argument against the Gospel writers being apostles? Sounds like the authors didn't think much of these apostles.
1: They don't understand what Jesus is saying. They don't understand his mission. In fact, they don't really get his mission until he's already ascended to heaven.
0: But that's exactly the literary theme of the Gospel of Mark. That Jesus was the Messiah to the outsiders. He exalts strangers like prostitutes and the centurion who can recognize what's going on. No doubt, the lack of recognition of the insiders like the disciples and Jesus' family was an exaggerated literary device to make his theological point.
1: And then they go, wow, I could have had a V8.
0: Well, there's an up-to-date pop culture reference. Have a Coke and a smile, Frank.
1: Peter, their leader, is called Satan by Jesus. That's embarrassing. Let's
0: say for a minute that Matthew and John were actually written by apostles Matthew and John. Is it not simply possible that they didn't like Peter very much and wanted him to look bad, even though in their own way they may have loved Peter at the same time? Kind of like one might tell a story about a sibling they're rivals with. And the Jesus of Matthew is full of hyperbole, telling people they must hate their parents and children, for example. And of course
1: Peter says, look, Lord, I'll never deny you. What does he wind up doing? He winds up denying the Lord three times.
0: This is their leader! That doesn't mean he was a good leader. And no one thinks Peter wrote these Gospels.
1: And then if you look in Galatians chapter 2, you see Paul rebuking Peter for being wrong about a theological issue. Why are two apostles arguing over theology in the Bible if they're making this up? They're not. It's embarrassing, but they're telling the truth.
0: I fully believe that Peter and Paul publicly fought about theology. I bet that's true. Peter was scrambling to salvage his ministry in light of events he didn't expect. And Paul was out there acting unilaterally based on visions in his head. Since you mentioned Galatians 2, doesn't it bother you that earlier in the chapter Paul said that the esteemed leaders added nothing to his message? How is Peter the rock upon which the church is built, yet not counted among those held in high esteem by Paul?
1: And then at the crucifixion, the disciples run away! Why would they run away? Why would they admit they ran away? They wouldn't, it must have really
0: happened. I believe the apostles ran away. This is probably something so well known that they simply couldn't deny it peppering in a few details of well-known truth, doesn't make the whole story true. The best lies contain a kernel of truth. That is a con man tactic.
1: And then the first witnesses at the tomb are women. Why would they invent that? In fact, in that culture, a woman's testimony was not considered on par with that of a man.
0: We've already been over this. Mark's gospel emphasized the Jesus that connected with outsiders. The women were the ultimate outsiders and got the news first. It's very literary. The early church was appearing to hearts, not minds.
1: So if you were making up the New Testament resurrection story, you'd only have the men be the first witnesses. Yet all four Gospels say the women were the first witnesses.
0: Mark was the first Gospel written. Almost the entire book of Mark is duplicated, often word for word, in Matthew and Luke. Of course, that wholesale copying had to include women at the tomb. That part of the story got fully solidified in the decades that passed. But even so, Matthew and Mark walk it back a little. Rather than having the women stay silent in the tomb like Mark, they immediately go find some men so they can corroborate their story.
1: Which is telling us what? They really were. They never would have invented it.
0: Who better to give a false story than someone who could never be called into court to testify?
1: In fact, I had a woman come up to me once and she said, I know why Jesus appeared to the women first. I said, why? And she said, because he wanted to get the story out.
0: That's the joke you went with. Really. Also, Mark sixteen nine, the last confirmed verse in that book, says trembling and bewildered the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid not exactly getting the story out
1: as they're standing there it says the disciples some believed but some doubted how did that verse get in the bible he's already resurrected and they're doubting it's him
0: it's a common narrative device that when something fantastical is being told in a story that you can make those events seem more plausible to your reader by having a character share the doubts and beliefs of the audience. Since the reader probably also doubts, it gives them someone they can relate to. And as the story goes on, and as the character comes to accept what's happening, it gives the reader permission to also suspend their disbelief. Of course you include doubters in your fantastical story.
1: Do you think they invented that? No. It's embarrassing, they're just telling the truth.
0: Even if you accept that Matthew wrote Matthew... That the other disciples didn't believe right away is hardly embarrassing to Matthew.
1: There's even embarrassing details about Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, his own family thinks he's out of his mind. They want to come in season to take away. Jesus' family does.
0: Again, Mark's Jesus is one for the outsiders, not the insiders. And who is more inside than his family? Since Mark was copied into Matthew and Luke, that stuff came over. But a conflicting narrative of an all-knowing mother also got layered in, because these later Gospels had different theological purposes.
1: Now you may have heard people say, the scholars say that the New Testament writers invented Jesus to be God, really? Then why are they saying his own family thinks he's nuts?
0: You insist that it must be true that Jesus' family considered him to be mentally ill, so why aren't you at least wondering if maybe they were correct?
1: And he's also called a drunkard. He's called demon-possessed.
0: The character of Jesus defined his movement as us versus them. If you're not with me you're against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Of course, any story has to include antagonists, or you'd have no story.
1: He has his feet wiped with the hair of a prostitute, which easily could have been seen as a sexual advance.
0: Even Christian authors like to add a little sex appeal in their stories. Sex sells.
1: And oh, by the way, do you know there are two prostitutes in Jesus's bloodline? Rahab and Tamar. Do you think Matthew and Luke got together and said, you know what, I really think we need to spice up the Messiah's bloodline a little bit. Let's put a couple of
0: prostitutes in there. It's completely clear that the authors of Matthew and Luke didn't get together on those genealogies. Take some time to compare the bloodlines described in Matthew and the ones described in Luke, which vary greatly. The two accounts are entirely different from David to Jesus, with only two names appearing on both lists. Clearly one or both were already spicing up that bloodline on many fronts.
1: You will never see this in a pharaoh's bloodline. You will never see the pharaoh being called a drunkard, being called demon-possessed, or having prostitutes in his bloodline. Any pharaoh would jump the heads off of his historians if they ever said that. Frank is
0: describing a hypothetical historian who is alive at the time of the pharaoh he's writing about. None of the gospels were written while Jesus was alive, and quite likely well after the apostles were alive. And if they were alive, they were far too old to be chopping anyone's head off. Not exactly an apt comparison.
1: But the New Testament is telling us the truth, as embarrassing as it is.
0: The so-called criterion of embarrassment that Frank is touting here is not a tool of historians. It is an invention of and used only by New Testament theologians. And for good reason. Literature embraces embarrassing details as an effective storytelling technique. Again, this idea is a purely theological invention, not a tool used by regular historians. You want the
1: ultimate no-spin zone? Read the Bible.
0: I don't care what you read. Assume it is spin and investigate the details for yourself. That includes my video you just watched, and it definitely includes the Bible.